Lord, we do thank you that we can gather tonight. You said where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst of them, Lord. So you are with us tonight, and we want to acknowledge you. And I do pray that you would just minister to, especially the women that are home listening to this talk. Lord, you see how they wanted to be here, but everyone is sick. So I just pray that you would just make it up to them. And Lord, I pray for your grace to be able to give the talk tonight. Lord, and I trust you to accomplish what you want to accomplish. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week we saw uh, grace and four aspects of grace, that saving grace. This is just a review for the ones that weren't here last week. Sanctifying grace or transforming grace, suffering grace, and sustaining grace to endure to the end. And what we're going to see in this teaching tonight is holiness. What is holiness? So no one living is righteous enough to stand before God on their own merit. That's what we see in the scripture. It's only through Christ's mercy and by his grace that we stand before God in His righteous, in the righteousness of Christ and not our own. And I read this this morning. I was like, this is really good. It's from Spurgeon. It said, Beloved, what a blessed thing it is when the soul can, as it were, stretch itself upon the cross of Christ and feel, I am dead. The law has killed me, and I am therefore free from its power because in Christ I have borne the curse, and in the person of my substitute, all that the law could do by way of condemnation has been executed upon me, for I am crucified with Christ. But Paul meant even more than this. He not only believed in Christ's death and trusted in it, but he actually felt its power in himself, causing the crucifixion of his own nature. When he saw the pleasures of sin, he said, I cannot enjoy these. I am dead to them. Such is the experience of every true Christian. And when I read that this morning, it was so encouraging to me because as we look at this topic of holiness, because of what we just read and what we've been learning uh, through the Bible study, the different uh, humility, being honest, um, needing God's grace to walk out living in holiness. I mean, there's no way we can do it in our own strength. But because we have been crucified with Christ and truly been born again, we can now choose to live a holy life. So in the Bible study, seeking him experience the joy of personal revival, the chapter we're looking at is holiness a heart like his and revival this is in the bible study could be defined as the bride getting ready for the wedding i love that i i just love that i when i read that i was like i've never heard anyone say it that way you know it is the church preparing to meet her bridegroom and being cleansed of all that defiles it so that sounds inviting. You know, when you hear that, it's like, yeah, I want that, you know. So the Lord Jesus gave his life, and we see this again in Scripture, to make us a pure and spotless bride. So revival is aiming towards that goal that we are preparing ourselves to meet the king, you know. So Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 
is really an earthly picture of what this looks like when it talks about a husband and his wife. Husbands, love your wife. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And when you think about our relationship with the Lord, he's given himself for us, right? He sanctifies us, sets us apart. He washes us with the word. You know, the word goes forth. He's the word made flesh, convicts us of sin. But the whole purpose is so that we may be a glorious bride, not having spot, wrinkle, holy and blameless, without blemish. That's like... We can look at ourselves and say, how can that be? I mean, but God's word says it. So it means that it can be, it will be. So we have to believe and have faith that what God says is true. And because of this, because of what we looked at with Spurgeon, that now we could choose to live a holy life unto the Lord. Hebrews 12, verse 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and, and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And the word strive there means to ensue, follow, to run swiftly in order to catch a person or thing, to run after, to press on, such as one who is in a race runs swiftly to reach the goal, to pursue, to, per, to pursue, let's just say pursue, in parentheses, in a hostile manner, to seek eagerly, earnestly, endeavor to inquire. So this tells me I have to put a lot of effort into this. It's not just this thing that I'm just going to sit back and la 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 la. No, it's a lot of effort to choose to strive for peace with everyone and also to walk in holiness. So what does it mean to be holy? What comes to your mind when you hear that question? It says we have such a Big class today. <laughs> That's for the ladies that aren't here. There's only two of us here, plus me. So, so when you hear holy, what just comes to your mind when you hear that? I mean, does anyone want to share? I think it's attractive. Beautifully attractive. Beautifully attractive. Yes. That's a nice way of defining that. Beautifully attractive. You are on the right course. And I'm not surprised. That's <laughs> what you do. It's your life. How would you define holiness? Something unattainable without Christ. Something unattainable without Christ. That's a good answer, too. Jonathan Edwards said, Holiness is the most beautiful and lovely thing. We drink in strange notions of holiness from our childhood as if it were a melancholy, morose, sour, and unpleasant thing, but there is nothing in it but what is sweet and lavishingly lovely. So that's like what she shared. It's attractive. Holiness is attractive. So we're looking at holiness and what holiness is. Just handouts there. So when we look at holiness, number one, this positional holiness. And positional holiness is what God imparts to us when we become his children. Since God is holy and we are sinners, we are reconciled to God by the blood of Christ shed on the cross. And 
Samantha, can you read Colossians 1, verse 19 through 22 there? So we're looking at positional holiness right now. Colossians 1, verse 19 through 22. If it please the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless, and above reproach in his sight. So what we see there is God is the one that imparts Christ's righteousness to us and makes us holy and blameless before him. And that's our spiritual position in Christ. We have been separated from sin, set apart to Christ. So the other aspect of holiness is personal holiness. So we looked at positional holiness. So we are made righteous before God. It's, it's that quote that I, well, what I opened it with. No one is living is righteous enough to stand before God on their own merit. It is only through Christ's mercy and by his grace that we stand before God in Christ's righteousness and not our own. So that's positional holiness. And personal holiness or practical holiness is the outworking and fruit of positional holiness, evidence in the way we think and live. And because we belong to God and his Holy Spirit indwells us, we are commanded and divinely equipped to live according to his will every day in every way. Sanctification is a lifelong process. So we should not be discouraged <laughs> because it's a lifelong process. And I think a lot of times we think we should be much further along. And maybe it's true, but reality is we are where we're at, you know, and only the Holy Spirit can help us to grow and mature and bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So I want to give you a little history here on the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the Pharisees, because they were highly respected and they were considered by all, including themselves, to be holy. They were experts in the Old Testament law. They prided themselves on keeping the law down to the smallest letter and their outward behavior could not be faulted. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the Pharisees had developed a system of 613 laws. 365 of them were negative commands and 248 of them were positive commands. I, I, I'm a, I mean, <laughs> and they took pride that they kept the law. But Jesus said, if you're guilty of one, aspect. Well, James said, if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of it all, you know, so, um, and Jesus, he, he saw that by them being religious and keeping these religious activity, keeping these laws, their heart had become hard, cold, arrogant, and that was their righteousness. They looked down at everyone else. And we know that Jesus confronts their hypocrisy in Mark 7, verses 1 through 8. Maybe, Deborah, can you read that? Mm -hmm. Thank you. 
I don't know if I have it on the handout. Did I put it on the handout? I'm trying to make oh, it yeah, easier. Okay. Yeah. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy? Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. Do you notice how many times the phrase holding to the traditions of the elders was used in that portion of scripture. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men and not of God. In this case, the rules were precise regulations about how to wash one's hands, even prescribing how much water to use and how to pour it. Wow. Yeah, I mean, they were like, and I'm sure they watched with a magnifying glass everyone that was supposedly religious and righteous. And it's interesting because when you go to Israel outside the, the Wailing Wall, you see the lay, you know, the where they would wash and the pitchers, and it's still there. And they still hold to the traditions of men. They still hold to it. Jesus addressed this again in Matthew 23, verses 3 through 7. What we see in that portion of scripture, they were not practicing what they preached to others. They were doing their spiritual deeds in order to make a good impression on others and to be seen by men. And in verse 25 and 28, Jesse, can you read that? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So Jesus cut right to the chase for that, to that religious spirit. And there's a handout on your handout that I gave it to you as homework. And I, I think maybe if we could go through it for the ladies that aren't here that wanted to be here tonight, maybe we could just read. It's, it's a homework assignment I had given with the handout. It's called The Difference Between Hypocrites and People Who Are Truly Holy. Because we're looking at what is holiness, how do we define holiness is, positional holiness and there's practical holiness so we're looking at what the pharisees were in but now we want to look at okay when someone because we see the pharisees had all these rules and laws that they were trying to keep 
And they were laying that on all the people to keep it. That's impossible. You know, I think about Jesus. Jesus came and he did away with it all. He said, the two greatest commandments, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All this other stuff they were doing. So we're going to look at, on this handout, and maybe Samantha, we could just go around the room and just read the section there on the difference between holy people and hypocrites, people who are truly holy. I mean, because in our mind, we're trying to define, how do we define holiness? What is holiness? So I'll let you go first. Hopefully this is picking everyone up. Holy people behave in a certain way, behave in certain ways because they love God. Hypocrites behave in certain ways because they want others to think they love God. Holy people are concerned about being pleasing to God inside and out. Hypocrites are concerned about how they are perceived by others. Holy people have a heart of love and serve others regardless of their socioeconomic status. Hypocrites like to associate with movers and shakers and the up-and-coming to enhance their own standing. Holy people bow to the authority of scripture and live radically obedient lives. Hypocrites will excuse disobedience to the word of God, though use of pious sounding logic, probably it's through use of pious sounding logic, while slavishly adhering to their own man-made rules and standards. Holy people give themselves unreservedly to God and are patient with others who are still in the process. Hypocrites expect more from others than they are willing to give themselves. Holy people have a humble estimation of themselves because God is their standard. Hypocrites compare themselves to others and develop a spiritually superiority complex. Holy people base their convictions on the standard of God's word. Hypocrites exalt personal preferences and human traditions to a position of equal or greater authority with the word of God. Holy people are real. Hypocrites pretend to do things they don't, to abstain from things they do, to love things they hate, to hate things they love, to want things they dread, to dread things they want. So we can stop there, but I thought this was really I don't even know. This was in the Bible study. Yeah, it was one of the handouts in the Bible study. And when I read this, I said, this is really good. I mean, just to evaluate um, the questions on here, I'll read it for those that aren't here. Do you see yourself in any of these statements describing hypocrites? If so, which ones? That was one question. The second one was, how can we be delivered from hypocrisy and move towards living more authentically holy lives? And then, um, how did the Lord use put off, put on, exercise in your heart? I guess I have to give you that hand up because it's not exact. So, uh, what are some practical ways you can continue to put the old self on and put on the new self with the help of the Holy Spirit? So, I'll make sure I get that to you so you have that. Okay, so what we see there is the contrast and a biblical contrast of someone who was really holy. We see here in Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 7. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. 
sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, and each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door was shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me. This is Isaiah the prophet. For I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the thongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. And that's such a beautiful picture of just what it means to come into the presence of the Lord and realize I am not holy like he's holy, even though he was a holy and righteous man. But he was aware of his sin before holy and righteous God. And that's such a difference from what the Pharisees were. You know? <coughs> so, Deborah, can you read First Peter 1, 13 through 16? And this, I'm sorry, this too, we're looking at um, to be active, how to be active in our pursuit of holiness here. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance, and but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Now you read that, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Yeah, I can't do that by myself. But what we've seen so far in the Bible study, right? We started with um, why ongoing revival is needed. That was the first class. To humility. Humility is coming to the realization that I'm humbling myself before the Lord and I'm acknowledging like Isaiah did. Lord, I'm a woman of unclean lips. It doesn't matter how long I've been saved or in ministry or whatever I mean when I see who you are I realize how I'm not like you inside of my heart so now that moves me to not only am I humbling myself but I'm in being honest before the Lord repentance Lord I don't want to stay this way I want to change I want to be holy as you are holy but I need your grace to do that. We looked at grace last week. And I need the Holy Spirit, who is my helper, who will help me bear fruit of the Holy Spirit. I need him. I desperately need him. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, Holiness is not something we are called upon to do in order that we may become something. 
It is something we are to do because of what we already are. And that's that, what we were looking at earlier, the two aspects of holiness, the positional holiness, is what God imparts to us, but then there's also the outworking, personal holiness, practical holiness, and Deborah read it. You know, we have to gird up the loins of our minds to be sober, rest our hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the form of lust as in your ignorance, ignorance, but as he who calls you holy, also be holy in all your conduct. So we see that God has given us what we need to live this out because he's not going to call us to do this and then leave us to ourselves. You know what I mean? He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Paul um, and Peter also spoke about that. So we have to believe him for that, that Lord, even though I still see my old nature, I still see myself, even though I've been crucified with Christ, I, I was buried with him in baptism, and I'm raised up in newness of life, I'm in this battle between the flesh and the spirit. But, you know, the more I kept meditating on this and thinking about how can we cooperate with God to grow in personal holiness, this hymn kept coming to me. Because this is really a picture of what God wants to do for us. It's take my life and let it be consecrated Lord today take my moments and my days let them flow in endless praise let them flow in endless praise take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee swift and beautiful for thee Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee, filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. How are we doing there? <laughs> Take my intellect and use every power as thou hast chosen. Every power as thou hast chosen. I just lost my spot. Take my will and make it thine. It shall no longer be mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will ever be only all for thee, ever only all for thee. I read that and that's like a consecrated life, holy unto the Lord. I mean, totally just given over to God. And if we've been born again, there should be a cry in our heart that when we read this or hear this, yes, there's something in us saying, yes, 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 I want that, I want that. So what we see, our personal responsibility when it comes to holiness according to the scriptures, there's some scriptures there, and I want to like rest myself, my voice a little bit, so if you ladies can just go around the room and read those scriptures out loud. 
First Timothy 5.22. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in anyone's sins. Keep yourself pure. First Corinthians 15.34. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. But some do not have the knowledge of God. Second Timothy 2.19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having the seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Romans 12, 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So these are just some scriptures that touch on this. There's more, but what we see, the personal responsibility we have, the outworking of the Holy Spirit, uh, walking in holiness, is very simple. Keep yourself pure. Well, how do I do that? How do I keep myself pure? Well, we don't let ourselves be defiled by watching things or reading things that, right? I mean, that's what comes to my mind. How about a weight to righteousness? Something we have to do. A weight to righteousness. How about let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity? So here we see the practical outworking of it. Romans 12, 9. Abhor what is evil. Let love be without hypocrisy. Cling to what is good. So again, we see the outworking. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Cleanse ourselves. Let us cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh and spirit. I'm perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So when I have a bad attitude in my heart, a sinful attitude in my heart, I, God expects me to cleanse myself of that by repentance. That's why repentance is needed. I never got to upload the repentance message for those that are listening um, because I didn't think the, and I don't know, it might be fine, but I thought with the just the background noise, it might not have come out clear enough in the recording, I haven't listened to it, so, but, but we see, we need repentance to do this, <laughs> you know, we need God's grace to do this, we need humility to do this, we need honesty to do this, so you see how it all ties, it's just everything ties in together, but when we look at First Thessalonians 5, verse 23 and 24, Zephyr, can you read that? Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's a prayer Paul prayed for the church in Thessalonica. And if he prayed it, we can be encouraged that this is his will for his church, for his body of believers, that God would completely sanctify us our whole spirit, soul, and body 
and be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. That's like, I don't even know what to say to that because that's just like amazing that God can do that with people that were once like rebels towards God and didn't want anything to do with them. And now he could totally transform them to this point when he comes that when we see him we'll be like him and that's the future glorification we hold on to first that we see in first john 3 verses 1 through 3 behold what manner of love the father has bestowed on us i mean do you ever feel that way i mean what manner of love has the father bestowed on me that we should be called children of god therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him beloved now we are children of god and yet it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he's revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And here we see that again. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. I have to pursue. Remember we looked at that word strive, pursue. I'll, I'll read it again since Deborah missed that when it says in Hebrews to strive for peace with everyone Hebrews 12 verse 14 and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord that word strive is to ensue follow to run swiftly in order to catch a person to run after to press on such as one who is in a race runs swiftly to reach the goal to pursue parentheses in a hostile manner to seek eagerly earnestly endeavor to acquire so that's like going full force after living a, a life that glorifies God a holy life that is just a vessel of honor being a vessel of honor for him or like Jesse said earlier just the definition of what it means to be holy it's Beautifully attractive. Is that how you said it? Yeah. And we want to be that to him, right? We want to be beautifully attractive, not only to Christ, but to one another. So language can be either passive or active. Passive language refers to something that's being done for us or to us. Active language describes the action we take to cause something to happen or to prevent something from happening. So personal holiness is not something we passively wait for God to mystically bestow upon us. Even though positional holiness, we are made righteous through Christ when he did on the cross, but still we have to actively pursue holiness. And that's why we see in the New Testament be holy as I am holy. You know, it's a command that's been given to us. So we must actively cooperate with God in order to be holy. And again, we see that in these scriptures here. First Timothy 4, verse 7. Samantha, can you read that? This should be on the paper. Is it on the paper? But 
reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. So that word godliness, exercise, you see something else we have to exercise yourself to godliness. The Greek word is gymnasio, and it means to exercise vigorously in either the body or the mind. And when you think about an accomplished pianist, how long do you think it takes to become a concert pianist? A long time. That's a good answer. <laughs> yeah, listen to this. On average, it will require 15 plus years, three to five hours a day of deliberate practice, studying under some of the best teachers in the industry. To master any instrument, it takes about 10,000 hours or about eight years it's good to notice that mastering an instrument is not equivalent to learning all the required techniques. The simplest way remains learn from a teacher. So what do you think would happen if we spent hours looking at Jesus in the gospel? He's our teacher. We see what it means to walk a holy life in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of everything that's defiling, unholy. Jesus gave his life to redeem us from this present age, right? We see that in Galatians. So, again, he's going to help us. He's going to help us. We just have to say, Lord, help me and spend that time with him that we've been hearing since we started this church and the woman's Bible study. That's been like the main thing I share, just spending time at his feet, looking at him, observing him. What would happen if we spent over 10,000 hours with the Lord just looking at him, learning from him? Didn't Jesus say, learn of me, I'm meek and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls, you know? I mean, he has so much he wants to show us and teach us, but we have to avail ourselves to him, to be with him, so that he can transform us. You know, we, each time we look at him, we're being changed from glory to glory. He changes us from glory to glory. It's when we stop looking at him that it's very easy to start reverting back to the old ways. So we must actively cooperate with the Holy Spirit and learn by observation from our teacher how to become holy in all of our conduct. Because Jesus was holy in all of his conduct. He was holy in it. In all of his conduct. So I want to encourage you with these Next three scriptures here, First Thessalonians 3, 12 through 13. Samantha, if you could read that. Jesse, if you could read Colossians 1, 21 through 23. And Deborah, if you could read Jude 1, 24 and 25. First Thessalonians 3, 12 and 13. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you, 
so that you might establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Colossians 1, 21-23 And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if, indeed, you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, which I, Paul, became a minister. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. So we see it's God's will that we would be holy, blameless, above reproach, if, big if, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded, steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. That's a big if. So again, we see we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to stay close to Christ, stay near to his heart. And if we do, then we can have confidence in what Deborah read, that Jesus is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. <clears throat> and that's really encouraging these scriptures. So if you're having a bad day, it would be good to pray over these scriptures and say, Lord, but you said, you said you were going to do this in my life. So even though I'm having a bad day or I might have totally blown it today, I'm trusting you to fulfill your word because I'm choosing to stay in the faith. I'm choosing to stay in this battle. I'm choosing to fight, to run, to not quit, Lord. And I can hold on to the promises, not because I'm faithful, but because you're faithful. You're faithful. You're faithful to your promises. So I thought it might be good to close with Refiner's Fire, if we could sing that, because we want to be holy like him, right? But he's got to get at those things that are in us, like Isaiah, you know, he was honest, and he let God just, God, I need you to cleanse me. You know, I'm a man of unclean lips, so I don't know if Deborah, can you lead us in this? Oh, maybe. Purify my heart, let me be as gold, and precious silver, purify my heart, let me be as gold, pure gold, refine
you the cry of my heart, Jesus. We want to honor you with everything that's in us, our mind, our tongue, our will, our eyes, our ears, our hands, our feet, Lord, just like that hymn says, we want you to take our lives. We want to consecrate our lives to you, Jesus, afresh to you, Lord. I pray for those that are home and just are hungry for this. God, meet them where they're at, I pray, Jesus. Meet us all where we're at, Lord. I, I pray that you would help us, Lord. Give us the grace we need to be holy as you are holy in everything we do, Lord. We need the Holy Spirit to do that because he's the Holy One, Lord. He is the Holy One, and, and he lives in us, Lord. And I pray that he would have greater access in our lives and through our lives, Lord. And I trust you to do what we're asking for as we just humbly submit ourselves to you, Jesus. Just have your way in us and through us. And make us a blessing to every person we come in contact with. That they would see you, they wouldn't see us, but that they would see Jesus. And that they would be drawn to you. They would be drawn to your love. They would be drawn to your heart, Lord. We ask this and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.